Ladies and gentlemen, critter enthusiasts, and eco-enthusiasts alike, welcome to another thrilling episode of Eric Likes Animals. I'm your ever-excited host, Eric Mahan, and today we're going to be diving into the wild world of environmental news and, of course, the creatures that make this planet their home. Whether you're a first-time explorer or a seasoned listener, I'm thrilled to have you along for the journey. So, all right, everyone, buckle up. It's time for some environmental news. First up, reported by Live Science, Tufted Ground Squirrel, the Borneo rodent once believed to disembowel deer and feast on their organs. (laughs) Yeah, folklore about certain animals around the world are quite fascinating, to say the least. And this article talks about it a little bit. For we're going to be talking about the Tufted Ground Squirrel where it lives on the ground and low branches of the hilly forest in Borneo, and what it actually eats, which are extremely hard seeds from a handful of tree species. But the reason why for this article is that the rumor was that the tufted ground squirrel nicknamed the vampire squirrel in a 2014 science article jumped down from low branches onto the back of a deer and then killed them by slashing their jugular vein with their razor-sharp teeth. Local hunters reported finding disemboweled deer carcasses and suspected the squirrels feast on their prey's stomach contents, heart, and liver. In villages close to the forest edge, tufted ground squirrels also said to kill domestic chickens and eat their hearts and livers. However, in 2020, researchers made a discovery. Contrary to the belief that these squirrels were bloodthirsty meat eaters, the revelation was that their peculiar teeth, characterized by large incisors on both upper and lower jaws with deep carved ridges, resembled a saw, were adapted for consuming extremely hard seeds and not the bones or the livers of deer. The seeds in question were described as so resilient that even a robust human armed with a hammer, would find it challenging to crack them open. Andrew Marshall, a biologist from the University of Michigan and the lead author of this study, emphasized the remarkable adaptation of these squirrels to a diet centered around these exceptionally tough seeds. Tufted ground squirrels exhibit remarkable club-shaped tails that are an astounding 30% larger than their bodies, making it one of the most voluminous tails among all mammals in proportion to their body size. The reason behind the development of such an extravagant tail remains unclear to scientists. One plausible hypothesis is that these distinctive tails serve as a defense mechanism against predators, particularly Sudan-clouded leopards. The theory suggests that the oversized tails may obscure the small bodies of tufted ground squirrels, creating confusion for potential predators and providing a protective advantage against would-be attackers. Despite the uncertainty surrounding the exact purpose of these extraordinary tails, their unique size and shape hint at a fascinating adaptation strategy in the evolutionary contents of these squirrels. The presence of tufted ground squirrels in Borneo pose a mysterious puzzle for researchers, as their closest relatives are identified as a group of South American squirrels. Strikingly, there is no evidence of any other relatives in either Asia or North America that could provide clues about their journey to Southeast Asia. In an attempt to unravel this enigma, a 2012 study proposed 
that the lineage of these squirrels, which the tufted ground squirrels, of course, they're looking at, diverged from a group about 36 million years ago. According to this theory, these squirrels colonized Borneo by traveling over land from Southeast Asia. Despite these hypotheses, the evolutionary history of the tufted ground squirrel remains murky. Their precise details of how these unique creatures ended up in Borneo continue to elude scientists. The lack of close relatives to the immediate geographical vicinity adds to the intriguing surrounding their origin and migration patterns. Next up, reported by Science News, reindeer can sleep while they chew. In the bustling holiday season, a recent study reveals that Arctic reindeer possess a unique ability to multitask by eating and sleeping simultaneously. This innovative adaptation adds to the repertoire of ingenious sleep strategies observed in the animal kingdom. Arctic reindeer faced a demanding summer marked by a continuous sunlight and abundant food. Like other ruminants, reindeer spend a significant portion of their time chewing regurgitated food to aid in digestion. Finding time to sleep amid the constant cud chewing possesses a challenge. However, researchers including neuroscience Melanie Furr and chronobiologist Sarah Meir conducted a study involving four female Eurasian tundra reindeer to investigate if these animals could engage in sleep eating. The reindeer were trained to tolerate pens and electrodes on shaved skin patches, a process involving treats like lichen, a favorite of the reindeer. The researchers monitored brainwaves indicated of non-REM sleep, a deep restorative sleep phase. Although the chewing motion made it challenging to precisely interpret the brain waves, signs such as closed eyes, calm demeanor, and resistance to disturbance pointed to the reindeer sleeping while chewing. The study found that reindeer in a ruminating state were less prone to disturbances and required less recovery sleep when kept awake. This evidence strongly suggested that reindeer can indeed sleep while engaging in the intricate process of cud chewing. Unlike other animals that show signs of sleeping with one side of their brains, reindeer exhibit their behavior on both sides. Understanding how reindeer accomplish this feat could provide insights into various forms of sleeping and potentially shed light on sleepwalking in humans, a poorly understood and potentially risky sleep disorder. The study also resonates with indigenous reindeer herders' concept of pasture peace, emphasizing the the physiological need for reindeer to ruminate undisturbed to meet their sleep requirements. In conclusion, the fascinating discovery about reindeer's ability to sleep while eating showcases their unique adaptation to the challenging conditions of the Arctic environment, offering a glimpse into the intriguing world of animals' sleep behavior. And then finally, reported by BBC, Wales becomes the first country to map important areas for insects. Wales has achieved a historical milestone by becoming the first country globally to map its crucial areas for insects. As announced by the conservation charity Bug Life, this groundbreaking initiative spanning a five-year period involved the analysis of 45 million records meticulously collected by naturalists to pinpoint key sites supporting insect biodiversity. Despite whales being home to over 20,000 different invertebrate species, the nation has experienced significant declines in recent decades, highlighting the urgency of conservation efforts. The project identified 17 important invertebrate areas, or IIAs, 
in Wales, encompassing 1,344 square kilometers, or about 6.5% of the country. These IIAs were found to host over 10,800 species, with 350 falling under the category of conservation concerns, and 15 classified as critically endangered. Among the notable species identified were the cliff mason bee, an inclusive resident of two short stretches of cliff top on the peninsula in the northwest of Wales. Additionally, the scarce yellow Sally stonefly, once feared extinct and only found along the River Dee in the northeast, was included in the list. Bug Life's project serves as a model for similar mapping endeavors in England and Scotland with the ultimate goal of producing a comprehensive map covering all the Great Britain. The detailed mapping of these insect-rich areas is a critical step forward, effective conservation strategy, and highlights the significance of preserving these habitats to safeguard the diverse and vulnerable insect populations in Wales and beyond. An IIA, or Important Invertebrate Area, is not a formal designation akin to national parks or sites of specific scientific interests. Instead, IIAs serve to highlight locations that harbor nationally or internationally significant invertebrate populations and their habitats. These areas are identified by a panel of experts in the field utilizing data from 80 national invertebrate record schemes. The mapping of IIAs involves a fine-scale, detailed approach where local naturalists collaborate to identify key species assessing threats faced by these species and explore opportunities to enhance the landscape. Kremlin Bog, located on the outskirts of Swansea, is highlighted as one of those locations featuring an exceptional species, the fen raft spider. The semi-aquatic spider is considered unique due to its ability to walk on water, aided by its hairy and sensitive legs that help detect prey, ranging from insects to tadpoles and even small fish. While IIAs lack formal designation status, the map generated through the process can be valuable tools for raising awareness about local wildlife. The informative derived from these maps can be utilized by wildlife charities, natural resource whales, and local authorities to plan future conservation efforts and make informal decisions regarding planning applications. Invertebrates crucial for the food chain, pollination, healthy soil, and water ecosystems are experiencing an overall decline. The mapping of IIAs is part of a broader effort to address these declining and prioritize conservation actions. Bug Life's programs manager, Jamie Robbins, emphasized that mapping the IIAs in Wales is just the beginning, calling for decision-making to recognize the pivotal role of invertebrates and use the IIAs to prioritize conservation efforts. Kremlin Bog, a part of the five-year peatland restoration project run by the NRW with EU and Welsh government funding, plays a role in the fight against climate change. Peatlands are vital for their ability to absorb and store carbon dioxide. The restoration project targets quaking bogs and other peatland landscapes, aiming to promote the healthy growth of peatlands, fostering habitats for the incredible species like the Fenraff spider. And that's it for your environmental news. So for the featured creature, let's talk about an animal still associated with the holiday season, shall we? And why don't we pick one of the many bird gifts in the 12 days of Christmas? 
More specifically, why don't we talk about the second day of Christmas and talk about turtle doves? More specifically, European turtle doves, which funny enough are not normally in Europe for Christmas, but are normally in their winter homes down in Africa. But hey, they made it into the song, so let's chat about them. The European turtle dove had a broad breeding range, spanning across southwestern Paleo-Arctic, which includes a significant portion of Europe and the Middle East. Its extensive distribution also encompasses ranges such as Turkey and North Africa. These migratory birds exhibit a seasonal pattern, spending their winters in northern sub-Sahara Africa. Now, in terms of their habitat, European turtle doves are quite adaptive, obviously, and can be found in various environments. They typically inhabit woodlands that have open areas or woodland edges, providing a mix of both shelter and accessibility foraging grounds. Additionally, they are known to thrive in diverse landscapes such as steppes, semi-deserts, hedges, groves, plantations, woody marshes, and shrublands. The preference for woodlands with open spaces suggests that European turtle doves are well-suited to areas that offer a balance of sheltered nesting sites and opportunities of feeding. Their adaptability to different environments contributes to their ability to breed and thrive across a wide geographic range within the southwestern Paleo-Arctic. Now, the European turtle dove is a bird species with a relatively moderate size. Adults typically measure between 26 to 28 centimeters or about 10.2 to 11 inches in length, but have a wingspan that ranges of 47 to 53 centimeters or approximately 8.5 to 20 inches. As for their weight, they range from about 100 to 156 grams, which is equivalent to the approximate of 3.5 to 5.5 ounces and with a max life of about 10 years. Now, as for the description of what they look like, they are not birds with turtle shells on them, sorry. But the European turtle dove is more characterized by its smaller, slender build compared to many other dove species. It has distinctive features include a brown overall coloration and a noticeable black and white striped patch on the side of its neck. When in flight, the dove's wedge-shaped tail becomes prominent with a dark center and white broad tips. Viewed from below, the tail forms a blackish chevron pattern against a white background created by the white undertail covers obscuring their dark base. In terms of coloration, the mature European turtle dove exhibits a blue-gray head, neck, flanks, and rump, while the wings are more of a cinnamon with black molting. The breast is kind of a wine color, and their abdomen and undertail covers are white. This combination of colors give the mature bird a distinct and visually striking appearance. When the bird is at rest or stops to drink, its spread tail reveals the black and white pattern. However, juvenile European turtle doves are characterized by browner and duller plumage compared to adults. Notably, they lack the black and white patch on the side of their neck that is present in mature individuals. These variations in coloration between juveniles and adults contribute to the overall identification of the species. Now, turtle doves are diurnal, meaning they are active during the day, and typically are observed singly or in pairs. However, these doves may form larger groups in or flocks in regions where food is plentiful or they're near a water source. And when they nest and spend a significant amount of time, it's normally in the trees. European turtle doves, however, do feed on the ground. 
Now, in terms of their migration patterns, European turtle doves are among the later migrants. While their arrival in northern Europe typically occurs towards the end of April, conversely, they start their southward journey migration normally in September. This migratory behavior aligns with the changing of seasons, allowing them to exploit favorable conditions for breeding and feeding in the different geographical areas throughout the year. These doves exhibit a combination of arboreal and terrestrial behaviors, utilizing trees for nesting and roosting, while actively foraging for food on the ground. Their flexible behavior and adaptability contribute to their ability to exploit diverse habitats across their extensive range. Turtle doves are primarily herbivorous with a diet that consists mainly of seeds and fruits. They are characterized as granivores or frugivores. Their feeding habitats are adapted to a variety of food sources and they may consume seeds and fruits from weeds and cereals. Additionally, European turtle doves have been observed eating berries, fungi, insects, earthworms, snails, and showcasing a certain level of dietary flexibility depending on the season. The Inclusion of a diverse range of food items in their diet allows these doves to adapt to the many different ecological niches and seasonal variations in a food availability. Now, they can be noisy birds, especially when they're in flocks, but their call is quite soft and it sounds more like a purr with a sort of a tur, tur sound to them, almost as if they're saying the word turtle, hence why they're called turtle doves not because they have a shell or have anything to do with turtles, but simply because someone thought that it almost sounds like when these birds make their call, they kind of sound like they're trying to say the word turtle. That's it. <laughs> now, as for the turtle doves breeding season, it typically commences in April and extends until September. During this period, the female dove constructs a nest made of twigs and lines it with soft plant material. The nests are often suited in trees. The female typically lays a clutch of two eggs, and both the male and the female take turns incubating the eggs for approximately two weeks. This shared incubation duty exemplifies a collaborative effort in the reproductive process. After the incubation period, the chicks hatch, and they remain in the nest for a relatively short period. By the age of about 20 days, the young doves known as chicks fledge, and of course fledging, if you don't remember, means that they develop their feathers to allow them to fly. European turtle doves achieve reproductive maturity at only approximately one year of age. This means that they can start breeding and contributing to the next generation's population dynamics after reaching that milestone. The breeding and reproduction of behaviors of European turtle doves are adapted to the seasonal availability of resources in favorable environmental conditions during their breeding season. So they must develop fairly quickly. After all, when you think about it, they possibly will have to fly 5,000 kilometers pretty soon after fledging to get to their winter grounds. And that means that, well, you better develop quickly or you're going to get stuck behind in the cold of Europe while all your friends head south to stay warm. Now, as for predators, thanks to the diverse habitat, honestly, they can get eaten by quite a wide range of different things because they have quite a wide range of habitats that they live in. There's various wildcats, reptiles, birds of prey, and a whole bunch more predators in Europe and of course North Africa that if they really wanted to could easily make a snack out of turtle doves. Now on to the conservation status. Well according to the IUCN red list they are listed as vulnerable population trend decreasing. 
European turtle does face several significant threats that contribute to population declines. These threats include habitat loss, the destruction and degradation of their natural habitats due to urbanization, agriculture expansion, and changes in land use to the reduction of suitable nesting and foraging sites for European turtle doves. They're also getting hunted. Hunting of European turtle doves for sport and traditional practices is a notable threat. Overharvesting, particularly during migration, can serve consequential for the population. Also, pesticides. The use of pesticides, of course, in agricultural possess a threat to European turtle doves by affecting the availability of their preferred food sources, such as seeds and insects. Pesticides also can have indirect toxic effects on many dove species. Droughts with climate-related factors such as droughts can have the impact of availability of water sources critical to doves, and limited access to water means limited access to drinking and bathing essential for their survival, especially with so much migration. And I kind of hit on it, but climate change. Changes in climate pattern include shifts in temperature, precipitation, can impact the disturbance and abundance of vegetation that European turtle doves rely on. And then, of course, finally, the competition with collared doves. Competition for resources, especially food and nesting sites, can cause all kinds of impacts with European turtle doves. So what can we do to save these birds? So it doesn't only appear in our 12 Days of Christmas songs. Well, we have shared a lot about global climate change, and if you work at home to reduce your carbon footprint, that will help with climate change and drought. For hunting, having hunting regulations and safe zones for birds, whether it be an area or time of year where the birds don't have to worry about being shot by hunters, like during breeding season or during migration, is always a good thing. As for pesticides and habitat, organizations like Operation Turtle Dove are already helping out with that. Operation Turtle Dove is working with hundreds of people from landowners to farmers to help make safe, healthy habitats to provide good homes for turtle doves. They will come out to different land and help out whoever is there with creating a healthier habitat for turtle doves that may be living there or one day will. They also have a website full of information like what types of plants are needed, food, nesting, and so on. They also have seen a dove reporting method so people can actually take part in citizen science and help with reporting and tracking these amazing birds. All of which is really giving the power to save these amazing birds that have been put into so many songs and so many poems throughout the years. Really, their chance of survival in the hands of hundreds and thousands of fans of these amazing birds. That is the European turtle dove. And that's our show. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the European turtle dove. As always, check me out on Facebook, X, aka Twitter, TikTok, and if you want to email me at ericslightsanimals at gmail.com, links are down in the footer below. And of course, once again, thank you for joining me on another wild adventure with Eric Likes Animals. This is Eric signing off, reminding you that every creature has a story, and sometimes the best stories have fur, feathers, or scales. See you all next time.